The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziegler, your premier source for equipping coaches to help leaders and top performers excel professionally and personally. Visit Ziegler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. We've been talking about the need to mind our mindset, which is the title of Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller's new book, with their research showcasing a majority of what we think and believe is not fact, but the stories our brain creates to help us make sense of things and ultimately protect us. I'm back for part two with Michael to walk and talk through his personal values, motives, and habits. We begin on spirituality, and he shares his appreciation of his faith community, helping him not be left alone with his own stories and benefiting from their input and correction. And it struck me how important relationships are as an overall antidote to getting lost and isolated in my own stories and beliefs that again, per Michael and Megan's research is not fact, but the story my brain has written. I need input from friends and guides and coaches and therapists to balance me out. And this is acute to me as in my own introversion and self-protection, I can be driven to isolate and be left alone to get lost in my own stories. And I have to proactively seek out and share my stories with others to keep me from getting lost. Michael also shares about his desire for loyalty and relationships, dialing up his energy to live longer and better for his family, how he starts his day, getting bored with his work and liking to change things up. How a financial advisor, my dad actually recommended to him, gave him a new lease on his outlook on money and how he feels his non-productive time leads him to his greatest productivity. Man, I feel that. Again, Michael Hyatt's new book that he co-wrote with his daughter, Megan, is called Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. You can get the book and his Mind Your Mindset course for free at the, the course is free, not the book. But if you get the book, you get the course for free at mindyourmindsetbook.com slash self-helpful. Thank you for tuning in to this self-helpful podcast. It would be great if you would leave a review. Let us know what you think about the show. And best of all, take what you learn here and use it in your life. Talk about it with people in your life. You can find me, connect with me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, I talk with Michael Hyatt about his personal values, motives, and habits. I think you'll benefit from this. I'm a foodie, and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill 
bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Michael, I've had the fortune of being able to do this segment with you a couple times over the past, I don't know, six or seven years. Matter of fact, I, I need to look at this. I want to say this is the fourth time you've been on the show. And if that's the case, that's the record. Uh, wow. Well, first of all, I'm honored by that. But thank you for having me on yet uh, again. You're always one of my very favorite people to talk to. I know you said that. I pre- Matter of fact, I want that in writing. We'll put that in the website. I need a, I need a podcast testimonial from you because I appreciate your graciousness. I'd be happy to do it. Uh, this time, however, you know, in the past, we just talked about the habits and we've expanded. It's been really interesting to really go through this or hit these areas on the Ziegler wheel of life, these spokes of life on the values to say, what do you value? And our first one here is spiritual. And it's one I've really grown to enjoy. It's interesting to hear people from all walks of different spirituality talk about it. But a guy like you, who I know somewhat of your faith background, but know it's evolving. And what your values or perspective was three years ago may have evolved some Today, matter of fact, I'll just start off there and ask. If it hasn't evolved, so be it. Tell us where it stands, where it has stood. But if it's evolved, I'd be interested to hear that. Tell me about your spiritual values. Well, I I would say that, um, first of all, just a little background, a little context. I'm Eastern Orthodox okay, and have been for 35 years. So I've literally been in the same church for 35 years. Wow. And love it. And I'm in the leadership of the church, and we have a remarkably stable, non-dramatic leadership group. And I'm I'm one of those people that that feels like, you know, I need to live out my faith in the context of a community hmm. where we can encourage one another and challenge one another and hold each other accountable and and all of that. And I think I'm I'm not a big fan of Lone Ranger. I would call it Lone Ranger spirituality, where it's just you and God. And it certainly has to start there, right? I mean, if, if you don't have that, you just have the community. Right. You know, that's that's not a faith either. But I really, I, I think one of my biggest values is community. Okay, that's it. Well, let's hit that one because I grew up very much the same in the church. We never missed a service. And uh, then came to my own faith. We were involved with the church pretty heavily up until... Uh, it's pre-pandemic that we kind of started seeking and started doing some other things, started kind of doing a small group thing. Then the pandemic hit. I have not been back, Michael, except for some special things. Sometimes I'll have some of my family who's on the worship team and they'll sing or, you know, for the Christmas service or whatnot, but I haven't. Now, the danger though, I appreciate you talking about that on the Lone Ranger side. I do, I got enough ingrained from the church to feel that danger. And so a lot of my church in that aspect, which I'm going to label as the body as being with a body of Christ, uh, is with a small group of guys primarily where we get together and, and discuss it, grapple, you know, mm-hmm. with that. But 
I'm interested in your perspective on that because I know you see people in all walks of life who are doing no spirituality, who are doing Lone Ranger, who are in the church, who are doing small groups. Where do you see what, – what would I be missing even is, I'm curi- is what I'm personally curious about. Well, not to wax too theological or go too deep into this, but I think community in the early church and throughout church history has, has been – a Eucharistic community where it's not just that we're an institution of people getting together, but as the body of Christ, we're getting together in worship. Mm-hmm. And it's around that common table where we take communion, commune with Christ, commune with one another. And to me, that's, that's the essence of real community. Otherwise, it's just a human organization. And I think, you know, a lot of people get disillusioned with church because churches are full of sinners people like you and me. And um, and it's easy to get disillusioned, but the truth is every human institution, you know, it's not, it's not just a Christian institution, but our political institutions, the places where we work, you know, unfortunately we all have to recruit from the human race. And so there's going to be flaws. There are going to be problems, but it's how you, how you tackle those that make the difference. I, I said to a friend, I just texted it, it to him last night. We were talking about an institution where we're both involved and I just said, uh, and it wasn't our church, but I just said, I love Jesus. I just don't always like his people. <laughs> okay, well, you just you just opened the door to that one because I'm I'm thinking, okay, with with spirituality, you know, religion for most people is right aligned with that. And talk about stories to your book, mind your mindset. Talk about stories we have written in our heads. And even as I ask you that question, I'm thinking, man, there's some stories that I have allowed to set root in regards to. I'm I'm going to use the word religion, not spirituality, not God, mm-hmm. not Jesus, but the the construct of the people involved, and I have let that probably pull me away some. And it's time to revisit some of those stories that are not based on an absolute truth, an objective reality, like we talked about in part one, but based on stories I've written and for my own self protection. Yeah, absolutely. And and the cool thing, the, the part of the reason why I like being in a faith community and you know, we go every week. Sometimes I went last night, this is the middle of the week. So there's, there, there are times when we go more than once. But the thing I like about that is that I'm not just a left alone with my own stories of faith or being in relationship with Jesus, which is really important, but I have the corrective of the community so that I have people with other stories can help me to correct my story yeah. and become more accurate. Yeah. And so I, I find great value in that. Well, you right there, that's the lead into our next category here, which is relationships. And you and I got into part one talking quite a bit about the different perspectives we have with relationships. I would imagine that even through the research that you did in this book, you and Megan did in this book, it called into question some of the stories you have written about some of the relationships in your life. Is that fair? Yeah, it's definitely fair. Um, and I, th- I think that, you know, we all have relations uh, or stories about our families because we live in pretty close proximity, at least in our early years to our family. And that's the greatest exposure that we have. Um, but, it, you know, when it kind of comes to my values, the, the relationship is really important. I've got a strength finders mug here. I don't know yeah. if you can see this or not, Oh yeah. but the last, my last of my five top strengths is relator. And so relationships are, 
really, really important to me. I've been married for 44 years. I'm happily married. Um, all five of my daughters live within 20 minutes of my house. Hmm. The three daughters who have have given me my 10 grandkids collectively live within five minutes of my home. And so we're really involved with family. Um, I, I don't give up on people easily. Hmm. You know, I've got a lot of the same friends that I've had for decades. I mean, I've known your dad for probably 20 years. I was just at Dave Ramsey's office yeah. on Tuesday doing the show. I've known him for 30 years. And I just, I, I, I value the longevity. Hmm. And I don't, I've, I've known people, and you probably do too, that they just kind of careen from one relationship to the next. And I just feel like if if there's conflict, and there's inevitably conflict in every relationship, or challenges, that that working through those is worth it. You know, in fact, working through that conflict is the door to greater intimacy. I appreciate you saying you've been married 44 years, and then after a quick hesitation, you said happily. Uh, that's come. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was privy to a 50 year anniversary, you know, wedding anniversary celebration, and it was very difficult because I thought well, we're going to get together and celebrate 50 years of absolute misery. Um, I, do you get points for the longevity if it's terrible? So uh, happily, and it's interesting you brought up conflict and working through that has not been a strong point for me in relationships back to the stories we tell and how we protect ourselves and entering into conflict was not an, that's a new area for me. I'm having to get help with the narration from therapists and from yeah. other people, because that's a, uh, I don't think many of us do conflict. Well, we don't. And you know, I tend to be a people pleaser. Yeah. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I think we have to reframe, apropos to my book, Mind Your Mindset, we have to reframe conflict, not as something that that can break the relationship, although it can, but we have to see it for the opportunity it is. Yeah. Because if you can successfully navigate conflict, you can create greater understanding, which leads to uh, greater intimacy. Like, Gail and I are so different from each other. Um, initially, the fact that we are opposite, she's an extrovert, I'm an introvert. I'm Myers-Briggs, I'm judging, she's perceiving. You know, we make decisions completely differently. But initially, that attracted us to one another. And then it began to annoy the hell out of us. Yep. And eventually, as we worked through it, and we went to some therapy and marriage counseling more than once, but as we worked through that sort of being annoyed we got to the place where we appreciated the differences. So on the Myers-Briggs thing, if you know if you know that assessment, the J for judging, which is that last thing they measure of the four, uh, it just means I make decisions very quickly. I want to have uh, the decision in my rearview mirror. Yep. But it can also lead me to being impulsive. That's the downside. And I sometimes make, I'm too impulsive, I make bad decisions. Like, it's so typical for me. I'll order that thing that's being advertised to me on Facebook, mm -hmm. just like impulsively because they got me dialed in. Yep. And then I'll get it and I'll go, what the heck was I thinking? Yeah. I don't need that thing. Or that thing's not what I thought it was going to be. And so then I have to return it. Gail, on the other hand, is a P, a perceiving, which means she likes the decisions in front of her. She wants to keep her options open. She always wants to do more research. Left to herself where I'm impulsive, left to herself, she procrastinates. Yeah. But after working through this for, you know, four plus decades, 
Now I see that as an asset in our relationship. I keep her from procrastinating. She keeps me from being impulsive yeah. when I let her. And so it, it makes for a better marriage and a, and better teamwork. Oh, I appreciate, I like that you said appreciate because I was thinking, you said so opposites. Your opposites initially that attracts you. And I think we all, well, that was my experience. It attracts you and then it annoys you. And then the word that I wrote as you were talking was, and then you learn to honor it, but that's different. I think it's not as, it's not as healthy. It feels like as appreciate honoring. It's one thing. Okay. I honor that, but you no, know, I actually appreciate that. seems like the full <laughs> yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's the full. Okay. That's yeah, because that, appreciated yeah. appreciation is where I see that, you know, I actually need that. Yeah. You know, I need, I need her in my life. I'm, I'm a better person. I literally, I was, I said this to her last night. We were laying in bed. I said, you know, Second to Jesus, you're the best thing that ever happened in my life. Wow. And I honestly mean that. I'm not just saying that. I really feel that. And it's not because we think the same thoughts. We love the same things. No, we're so opposite. Another funny one is adaptability or flexibility is like number, for me, is number 33 on the Strength Finders, which is dead last. Huh. For her, it's number two. Wow. And so, so just so opposite. But now I appreciate that. I love, she's taught me to be more flexible than I would normally be. And I think I've, I've helped her be less flexible than she needs to be sometimes. Yeah. She doesn't have to accommodate herself, you know, to everybody's wishes and desires. Uh, I love the testimony. Thank you. You got me thinking about, uh, you and I were talking prior to recording about Patrick Lencioni, who we both know. His yeah. latest book is Working Genius and uh, yes. Have you done that? So you go to workinggenius.com. We promote it on the show. I think it's a $25 assessment. And I mean, you obviously are well ingrained in all the different profiles and stuff, but for some reason, I really like how he comes to his and I've been using it. So I got my family to take it, my wife to take it. And it was, again, I, I think I know this stuff, but I, it's a different way, a different way of looking at it. You're working genius. And it was really, that's been my current vernacular for our differences, but I need to come back and make sure am I just honoring it or am I actually appreciating it? Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny in our family, we are so assessment obsessed Yeah, that we like our literally the entire family, the extended family. If one of us gets into an assessment, everybody takes it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for the last, like during the pandemic, it was all about the Enneagram and man, yeah. we went deep on that and, you know, we're kind of off of that a little bit now and we're on to the next thing, but, but it's fun. I need shoot. Maybe after we're finished with, I need to grab a, I just got a book in the mail. Uh, it was from Baker, from your publisher, on a, a guy who has a new book on the Enneagram. Um, I, I'll have to see if you know about it and, okay. uh, and recommend that. Okay, well, health and wellness is the next one. And, and I've been eager to hit this one because as you shared right at the beginning of the show, you in being a health and wellness-minded and educated and following guy for so long, it was, what, what, what are we at now? Two years? No, a year and a half ago, had a heart attack. Is that my, right in the timeline? September? No, just... Just six months ago. Just six months ago. Goodness. Yeah. You had a heart attack. So, you know what? Let me come back to that. So prior to that, let me just hit on prior to that and kind of, you know, for the duration, what were your, well, gosh, if I ask your values, it was to be well, I'm, I'm sure. But I mean, what, where, where did it reside around? I mean, how you look, how you feel, how you perform, where would you say is the highlight value? Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. 
I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Well, I think a couple things. One is, um, you know, I'd like to live longer and be there for my kids and for my grandkids. So that was partly driven by that. Um, but on the other hand, I think that I just, I wanted to feel better and accomplish more. Mm-hmm. And at some point, maybe about 20 years ago, I had this thought. I thought, you know, a lot of people think about the energy level that they have, and they think it just is. Some people are high energy, some people are low energy, but you don't have any agency over it. And the thought occurred to me, no, actually, energy is a caused thing. Hmm. And in other words, how I think will have an impact on my energy. And I can dial it up or dial it down. And so... You know, we've all had the experience where, you know, you're in the the middle of a fight with your spouse and the doorbell rings and you open the door and you're just like Mr. Pleasant right, or Mrs. Pleasant. And suddenly you just change your emotions like that. Yeah. And um, and I realize that energy is like that, too. You know, if I want to be more energetic, I can act more energetic or I can think more energetic thoughts. And so that was a, a big driver for my health was just to have more energy because I, I felt like I was taking on a lot in terms of what I was trying to accomplish in the world, and I needed all the energy I could get. So it started with my sleep, making sure that I was getting really, really good sleep, and I still feel that is like the most important thing related to health. Let, Not the only thing. Let me ask that. What's the what's a primary thing that you 
I guess, avoid or pay attention to that you know is going to disrupt your sleep? Well, one of the best things I ever did was buy an Aura yeah. O-U-R-A ring. I have no affiliation with them, but but it helped me to start monitoring my sleep and seeing where I could improve. Yeah. And the, the number one thing that gives me a bad night's sleep is an elevated heart rate. Hmm. And an elevated heart rate is primarily caused by I either ate too late or I drank alcohol or I had a dessert, you know, sugar, anything that spiked my blood sugar late at night will keep my heart rate elevated. And that cuts right into my deep sleep and, and sometimes also my REM, but mostly my deep sleep. Yeah, that one is uh, that I'm I'm right there right now. I was just on. I told you I was on an adventure with some guys. One of them's a primary investor in Aura uh, Rings. Really, they I, wow. they are at this point. I think top of the heap as far as I mean. I, I love wearable devices. You know, I've got mine. I track all my exercises and my heart rate, whatever. But for sleep and recovery, Aura, and then I think second is like the Whoop. If anybody knows that, W H O O P is another one that they mm. they are tops. But I think Aura is on sleep. And yeah, I love it because it shows me what I don't feel like. I feel like I had a pretty good night's sleep and then it tells me otherwise. And then I'm right with you, man, eating late alcohol and sugar. Uh, so yeah, I'm on, I'm on detox currently after imbibing over the holidays far too long. Well, you started off with sleep. Sleep was number one. And I hit you on that. What go to go to the next one. Well, the second one I would say, uh, would be my nutrition, what I'm putting into my body. And so you know, I basically eat a, a version of the Mediterranean diet and I have a nutritionist that I work with. And so I try to be really careful to eat whole foods, uh, organic foods, you know, locally grown foods if I get them. And, and I realize, you know, it's not cheap to be healthy. Mm-mm. And that's kind of frustrating to me because there's a lot of people I know that would like to be more healthy and can't afford it. So I know I, I'm in a place of privilege, but I, I say nutrition would be number two and then number three would be exercise. So to me, that's kind of the trifecta. They're not the only three, but those are the three that are, to me, the most important. What's been the common exercise outlet for you? Well, I've worked with a variety of trainers for 20 years. Currently, I'm working with a virtual trainer. And uh, so I have a a call with her once a month, and she has her own app where I'm logging my exercises. And so I'll do three days of cardio and then three days of strength training. And I just alternate those days back and forth. And we adjust the strength training and, frankly, the cardio uh, every month based on how I'm doing. I also, another thing that's really important, Kevin, is I'm meticulous about getting my blood work done. Hmm. So I get my blood work done three to four times a year. And then I go in and talk uh, to my primary care physician about the blood work because that tells the whole story. Yeah, You know, that's kind of like the early warning system if something's going to go wrong. So you just said, I mean, all the right stuff. I mean, textbook, there's health. You look healthy. You've been living healthfully. And six months ago, you have a heart attack. My first question is, if it's me, I'm, I'm trying, even though I can't change it, it happened. It happened. Now you're, you know, you're on the, on, on the way back up. But what the heck? What was the, I want to, I want a causation. I want something. Have yeah. you spent time messing with that? Have you come up with anything? Where, where are you with that? I, I have, I found one of the most amazing doctors in the world. Uh, for years, I knew I had this high calcium score and it was dangerously high. Huh. But every doctor said to me, well, you know, yeah, this does elevate your chance of a cardiac event, which is the euphemism they like to use, hmm. but a heart attack. Um, 
But, you know, you, you can't really do anything about it. It just is. Maybe we can try to stabilize it. Just keep doing what you're doing and all that. So I just said, no, this is this is a problem because every time I get this checked, it's going up and up and up. And unless I'm going to be totally calcified, you know, something's got to give. So I found this guy, Dr. Mark Houston, and um, he is my primary care physician. He's board certified in four different specialties, including um, cardiology, longevity, nutrition, and then internal medicine. Right. And so he said to me, he didn't get my hopes up. He said, I, I think we could definitely stabilize it. But he is radical about something called performance medicine. So they apply supplements to various genetic issues to switch your genes on and off. And so he said, I'm not quite sure this was initially, he ran me through a battery test. And he said, I'm not sure exactly what's causing this. But he said, we're going to get to the bottom of it. But then he put me on a bunch of supplements. Mm-hmm. And so then my calcium score, not only did it stabilize, but it started going down. And like every other doctor told me that was impossible. Once you've got it, you can't. Mine went down 32% in two years. Hmm. So it was moving in the right direction. And then finally he came to the conclusion. He said, um, the real culprit here, because he did a lot of genetic testing, a lot of gene evaluation. He said, the the problem you have is your LP little a, which is a subparticle of your cholesterol. That's what's driving this. And he said, we're going to target that specific particle and we're going to turn it off or at least try to dramatically reduce it. And so that's what we did. So I knew I was making progress, but there's two ways I could have framed that heart attack. I could have said, what's the use? I mean, I've done all the right things, still had a heart attack. I guess my genes trump everything. There's no use even trying. But my other doctor in Los Angeles, Dr. Seeds said to me, he said, uh, basically, this is what saved your life is being as healthy as you are. And I was hiking in Peru at 8,000 feet six weeks before I had my heart attack. And he said, the only reason you survived that knowing the blockages that you had was because you were as healthy as you were. And that's going to make your recovery so much faster. So So just a different way of looking at it. So you do attribute it. Primarily to genetics, you just have an, an, an anomaly that caused your calcium to be high. Yep. Uh, but and, and Dr. Houston could point to the six genes that are causing that, but it doesn't mean that's the end of the story. It doesn't, yeah, I, I love that. Okay, so now uh, you're post the uh, bypass and, and all that. Any changes necessarily, or is it you, what you were doing was right? That's an, that was an anomaly again. And so pretty much on the same track, pretty much on the same track. Okay. You know, we're, we've had a little adjustment in supplements, but, um, but yeah, pretty much the same track. Okay. Well, next one is the mind, uh, which is appropriate for your book, mind your mindset, but mind and mental health. And so just to look at that, when you look at Michael Hyatt's mental state that you want to be in today, what is a primary value that rises to the surface? Well, I really believe that how I start the day will influence how the day goes. And so some people call it, you know, their, their quiet time or the power hour or whatever, but I'm very deliberate about those first few hours when I wake up. So what it looks like for me, Kevin, is that the first thing I do is pray. And, uh, I used to not do that first, but 
you know, praying is challenging for me. And so I just kind of like to get it out of the way and, and get it done. And the more I've done it, the more I've learned to like it and enjoy it. But, but that's where it starts. And just quieting myself down uh, is huge. And then I read from the Bible. I read through the Bible every year. Sometimes it takes me a little bit longer than a year, but I've done that for decades now. Then I journal. And when it comes to the mind, I don't know if this is because I'm an Enneagram 3 or I'm just out of touch with my feelings, but I don't really know how I feel about something until I write it down. And, and I'm an Enneagram. Oh, well, I'm a three for whatever that's worth. And and totally. And my wife talks about she needs to figure something out. So she needs to talk it out. I that could, that's Greek to me. I got to write it. So I'm tracking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, it's one of my, my daughters is they frequently do say, well, dad, how are you feeling? I was like, well, I don't know. I haven't written about it. And I, that's good. like I have to journal and I have these prompting questions that I use that I've come up with about seven or eight questions that are designed by me for me to help me kind of reconnect with my innermost self. Wow. And then when I get done with that, then I'll go exercise. Yeah. So that's kind of the morning routine. Well, what have you, I mean, in, in the creation of this book, Mind Your Mindset, and the understanding, as we talked about in my paraphrasing, of that we generally, life happens, we interpret it through our own lens, which is usually there to protect ourselves. And you said the word, I don't know how many times on the show, of the need to be aware, aware of ourselves, aware of our own narrating. Is there anything tangible specific you have changed since even the writing of this book in that, or is just the process and the understanding and the awareness of needing to be aware helped you, uh, just be more in the moment and able to kind of do a gut check and go, well, hold on, check the narration. Yeah. I think if there's anything that's changed, Kevin, it's been that I've given more permission to the people closest to me to call me out on my own thinking because huh. Our thinking is largely invisible to us. And even if you know this stuff that I know and having written the book, there's just times when it's in, invisible to me. Yeah. And uh, I've given my my family and my close friends permission to challenge me. And I had a, this happened actually several years ago, but it would be illustrative of what we're talking about is I, um, I get on an airplane. I am just seated and I get a phone call from one of my best friends. And we haven't left the gate yet, so I take the call. And he says, um, what's up? And I said, well, I have to go to San Diego to give a speech. He pauses. He said, did you hear what you just said? And I said, what did I say? Like, I was completely unaware of it. He said, you told me you have to go to San Diego. He said, I'm sure somebody didn't hold a gun to your, your head. You're not being forced. You're not being taken as a hostage. And oh, by the way, you're going to freaking San Diego, which is probably the best climate on the planet. And you get to speak to this huge audience. And probably and being paid for it. And being paid for yeah. it. And you're living the dream. You get to go to San Diego to give a speech. Well, that one yeah. change in vocabulary, adjustment in my language, totally impacted how I felt. Because when you have to do something, that's the language of obligation. It's the language of duty. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of dreading this. But when I said, oh, I get to. And that's a little hack I, I use on myself all the time. But my family will call me out too. Yeah. And my youngest daughter, Marissa, will say, you know, well, if you say so. And then I go, oh, yeah, you're right. So I love that. 
It's I, helpful I, to get more people involved. I, I, I love that, man. I got to tell you, uh, I, you know, my in in my book, which you gave such a great endorsement for, you know, that is the last chapter, and it's kind of a bonus chapter, and it is taking all those things that we say I have to do, I need to do, and changing it to I want to do, and it sticks with me so much, Michael, because it's in my book, and it's the hardest thing for me to do. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. The language of obligation. I got to go pick up the kids. I got to go do whatever. And and, and yeah. Oh, you've got to go pick up. How would somebody feel like who's striving to have children? They would be thrilled to do whatever. And you're sitting there as an obligation or it's so difficult, but what a mind shift. Well, I, I have a theory and I've worked in the book publishing industry most of my career until the last 12 years and worked with a lot of authors and, and I used to think that people write a book because they're an expert in that book. Uh. A lot of books are written, including my books, because I'm trying to address a problem that I have. Yes. Yeah. Like I've written on productivity because I can be enormously unproductive. Yeah. I, I wrote a book on goal setting because I struggle with that. And now I've written a book on mindset because my thinking is the biggest challenge that I face. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's out of that that I get interested in a topic and then decide, hey, I got to learn more about this because I got to address this issue in my own life. I I thank you for pointing that out. I had I had a couple on the show. Uh, it's been a few years, I think. I can't remember the book, but it was in this segment of the show uh, of talking about values and habits where they said that, where I asked about mindset or something like that. And they said one of the hardest things is just practicing what they preach, practicing what they have in the book. It's so convicting that they got this book that talks about this stuff. And the hardest thing is for them to follow their own wisdom. And I, uh, so true. my dad sent me, I wouldn't be surprised if you knew it. I need to come up with it again, but it was some, some famous author, somebody I think everybody would know who said that they found themselves reading their own book and going, huh, that's really good information. And they said, I was writing better wisdom than I was living. And I love that perspective. That's humble. Um, I'm writing better wisdom than I'm living. I relate far too much to that. Me too. Work, career, business. That's the next category. And I'm curious about you, just your, I would say your values, but also your evolution with work. I mean, being a CEO of Thomas Nelson's a big part of your story. You've done so much since then. And I hear about it. I'll hear about it from my dad. We'll be talking about something. So, oh yeah, Michael Hyatt's doing X, Y, Z. And I'll hear about something. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and I'll reference that and I go, no, he's not doing that anymore. Oh, really? It was going so well. Yeah. He moved on to something else. And so I, I just hear this. This is the stories I hear, you know, and I wonder, do you find your yourself with things that even if they're working, you get, uh, do you get bored of things or do you just like to create? So you're just going to create, tell me about the values you've got work, business career. Well, I like your dad, I have a huge value around learning. And so I'm always learning stuff and then it takes me in different directions. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things I've really valued is resilience. Hmm. And so I, I don't really have a problem changing things and I do get bored for sure. Um, and I don't, I, it's hard for me to stay on the same course for a long period of time. I can get distracted easily, but I think for, from a resilience standpoint, you know, I've, I've been through some hard knocks. I had a business that failed in the early nineties. Um, you know, I had to bounce back from that. And that was a time when we were so broke that our, that the people at our church were bringing us, meals 
because wow. we couldn't afford to go to the grocery store, wow. which was humiliating. And uh, that really affected my story for a long time because I, I bought into this idea that I'm not very good with money. And part of that was that I had a mentor that said to me soon after that, that business failure, he said, you know, you're not very good with money, are you? And it never occurred to me that that was his story that he was imposing upon me based on what little he knew of me. I mean, he was a mentor, so he knew some, but he didn't know everything. But I just accepted that as the truth. Huh. And so every time I would approach a investment or something related to business, there would be, the, the narrator would be saying to me, well, be careful because you're not very good with money. Hmm. And I spent probably the next decade proving that story until I finally said, and actually it was when I met Dave Ramsey and I said, you know, maybe I can learn and get better at money. Maybe this isn't something you're either born with or not born with, but maybe it's something I can learn and grow in. And that was, sounds simple, but it was revolutionary for me. So I place a high value on learning. Can, can I ask, so you said the 90s, so broke people are bringing your meals. About how old were you then? Oh, I was about 35. Yeah. Okay. I, I just love hearing those stories. It's so often that I have someone here on the show who has achieved a high level of success that has that story behind them. And I don't want to put that out there for people to think, oh, I've got to be at this rock bottom place to to excel. But um, it does seem statistically relevant uh, that uh, people who achieve high things have often felt a little bit of the pain, uh, at least. And, I, that's been my experience, too. Yeah. And I think it's helpful. I mean, I, I say to people all the time, you know, I wouldn't want to have to go through it again, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because some of the most important business lessons I ever learned were not just that failure, but all the many failures I've had. You know, it's out of failure that, that you grow and you develop and, and you hopefully acquire the humility that it takes to really succeed. Because at the end of the day, success is a team sport. And if I'm going to succeed, it's going to be because there are people uh, that are out there that are willing to help me. Yeah, you know, people that are willing me to have me on their podcast, for example, or people that are willing to give me an endorsement, or people that you know connect me with somebody that could be really important in my life. And so, you know, all this all this stuff is important, and it takes humility and likability uh, to get that from people. So, you know, I don't I don't think you can do that as a lone ranger. Yeah, you need it. You need a team. Where is your focus right now with your work? And I asked that, you know, you, you've mentioned being buddies with my dad, with Dave Ramsey. You know, my dad at this point is just, he's having fun creating. He's creating new things. He's writing new books. He's got, you know, ideas and he's just having fun and he's doing well and he's good. The last time I had Dave on the show, he talked in this context a lot about his and this has been a while ago, it's probably been four years or more, but he talked a lot about his focus on succession, which makes sense for, you know, his business and it's all, you know, it's Ramsey and, but he's not going to be there forever. And he was talking about succession. And of course we've seen him uh, really put a lot of focus on other personalities from his daughter, Rachel to, to other folks there. So I'm curious, as you look, are you just enjoying, you know, creating, do you have some new things you want to do and to try? Are you looking at, you've got your family involved with your business What's the focal point? Well, I think coming out of the heart attack, 
um, mm. I realized the value of having even more margin. And because I was, I, I literally took three months away from the business for medical leave. And what that meant is every single day I, I got to see my new grandson, hmm. who's five minutes away. I want more of that in my life. I had a lot of time for reading and reflection, and I want more of that in my life. So in this season of my life, uh, two years ago, well, we started a process five years ago of me or of my daughter, Megan, becoming the CEO of the company for reasons similar to what Dave went through. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to live forever. And I had witnessed so many bad CEO transitions. And I'm, I could tell this story because he's dead now. But when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson, uh, my biggest cheerleader was my predecessor. Huh. And he nominated me to our, our board. We were publicly held. And they voted unanimously to make me the new CEO. And the day after that, he was so lost. He said to our CFO, he said, if I'm not the CEO, who am I? His identity was so meshed with the company that he didn't know what to do with himself. So he spent the next two years trying to unseat me, and he made my life a living hell. I mean, really, I, I'm i exaggerating a little bit, but it was miserable. He wouldn't leave the building. He was wow. constantly trying to uh, undermine me. He literally went out there unauthorized from anybody, talking to my, the CEOs of some of the biggest my biggest competitors, trying to get them to come replace me. Thankfully, I had the board's support. So I've seen it go really badly. And I said, I am not going to do that. And so Megan and I got our heads together five years ago, and we said, what would a great, seamless transition go that would set the company up for long-term success? And so we began, you know, to start with the end in mind and say, what would have to be true for this to go well and for us to be proud of this transition. And so we began to map all that stuff down. And um, one of the things that was really important to me is when I initially thought about succession, I was focused on what I was about to give up. Hmm. You know, I mean, being a CEO is a pretty cool gig. You know, you got status, you got a lot of control. And the prospect of giving that up, I felt like a lot of founders, it made me want to grab it and, and, you know, not let go of it. But I started getting focused on what this was going to make possible. And my, my wife loves to ask the question, what does this make possible? And I, and I started getting future fo- focused instead of focusing on the past by thinking, okay, what's going to be possible now once Megan becomes the CEO? Well, once I got clear on that, I totally embraced it. In fact, I made her the CEO a year earlier than we had announced to the team mm. because I thought she's ready and I'm ready to get onto this next thing where I'm like your dad, creating content, creating new programs, and really focused on that and not doing all the management and the leadership of, of the company. Well, you, and you said more that you experienced during the medical leave time, more time for reading and reflection. And my follow-up question to that was, why? Why did I have more time? No, why, why did you that? want that? Why are you gravitating towards, I want more time for reading and reflection? Yeah, I... I have spent so much time in the last 10 years on stage. And I'm using that kind of metaphorically, but being the front person for the company, you know, I'm the one that's out doing keynotes and I'm the one that's writing books and I'm the one that's doing the podcast and I'm the one that's doing the webinars and all of that. And I just thought, you know, that's not healthy. 
it's not sustainable. I mean, I think there's there's huge value in personal brands because it it creates rapport with an audience and creates trust faster. But it doesn't really it didn't serve me from a long term perspective. And so part of that transition was we changed the name of the company because it was Michael Hyatt and Company, and we changed it to Full Focus. We yeah. said, how about if we make the thinking or or sort of a concept that would be the hero not a personality. I mean, first of all, it makes the it makes the company more stable because if the company was totally built around me and I have a heart attack and die, well, what happens to the company? What happens to all these people that we employ? What happens to all this stuff that we've created? And so to me it makes it much more sustainable by doing that. But it was being I I think what a lot of founders don't do is they're not as thoughtful as they probably could be in terms of succession and, and taking a stand for a great succession and Megan and I get along great. We have lunch once a week, but I really feel like in terms of content creation, I report to her and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, money is the next one. And you mentioned that. So you have a history with money that I'm curious to hear about because that has been the story for me too, Michael, that I know, I know how to create things. I know how to inspire things. I get them going. I don't have much of a financial thought. That's not what leads for me for better and worse. Uh, some of that's my baggage. Some of it I'm, I'm okay with, but being good with money, I thought I'm pretty good at figuring out how to make it. That's kind of the end of it. I don't really, maximize it well. And again, I don't have the thoughts for that. So yeah, what's the journey? So you shared that that was the story that you dealt with. What's the fruition of that then since then? Yeah, I think one of the best things I did was coming to the conclusion, our, our stories are so similar. Like I've, I've been really good at making money. And if you take that with making bad financial decisions, it just mean, it just enables you to make really bigger uh, hmm. financial mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And I made some, I mean, Oh, oh God, I could tell you so many stories and I won't get off on that, but it was actually your dad that introduced me to my, uh, financial advisor. And I never wanted to go see a financial advisor. It's kind of like a lot of people treat the dentist. It's like, well, I, I I'm going to, maybe this is an Enneagram three thing, but you know, I, I'll go see the dentist after I've been flossing consistently for six months and kind of clean up the mess in my mouth, then I'll go visit the dentist. Right. Or it's the person that doesn't want somebody to come in and clean their house till they straighten up. And for me, I was so embarrassed, feeling like I should have been much further along in my finances. And that once I got to that place, well, then I'd hire a financial advisor. Right. And so your dad introduced me to a guy and um, he was so amazing. Didn't shame me made me feel good about where I was at, kind of reframed the whole thing and really taught me and Gail that we could make progress. Hmm. And it wasn't as hard. We were kind of overthinking it. And, oh my gosh, we've made enormous progress. But it was, for me at least, it was like, okay, I could either spend time trying to figure all this out and study investing and all that kind of stuff, or I could just continue to try to make gobs of money and let somebody else who does this full time yeah. handle it. And that's what I chose to do. And it's worked great. And me too. God bless CPAs and financial advisors. <laughs> and <laughs> I just, I don't have the head for that, but you did say coming out of the heart attack, it gave you a increased your value for having even more 
margin. Now I was thinking financially, but I assume you're talking about finance time, same time, thing, which yeah. you don't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was talking primarily time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I've, I've been pretty good about that. I mean, one of the things our company at full focus stands for is something we call the double win, win at work and succeed at life. Yeah. And we really value margin, you know, to this day, this started in the pandemic. We work a six hour work day. Everybody gets paid like they were working a full day, but we only work six hours a day. So we've been in, intentional about focusing on margin, but it's easy for that to kind of creep up. And um, yeah, so I just, I just want even more of that. And one of the things I've, I've grown to love is I just, Gail calls it just kind of uh, tinkering where when I'm down at our lake house, for example, me just working on the boats or fishing or doing home repair projects. I didn't used to like that stuff. Now I love it. And I'm never more relaxed than when I'm doing that. You just took my last question. That's it. And it's, I've been framing it. I've kind of, I've kind of changed the flavor of it around what are the things that you do that give you energy, but primarily are in a, I'm going to say a non-productive aspect because we could yeah. say, oh, writing a book and speaking to people gives you energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about what gives Michael energy that you do just for you that may not produce something that's tangibly a benefit to someone else. You just said some of that. Yeah. Well, I, I believe that hobbies are really important in non-productive time. I've written about this, you know, non-productive time is, as it turns out, some of the most productive time you can spend. But for me, it's hobbies like you can see in the background. For those of you who aren't watching video, you can't see this. But, you know, I've got the um, guitars in the background. I've got a Native American flute. Music's a big part of my life. Golfing, even though I suck. You know, I love (laughs) golfing, love fishing, love being at our lake house. And the great thing about the lake house is it's become a magnet for the grandkids. So the family's constantly down there with us. And that's a blast. Uh, The lake house. I'm curious. The last I'm thinking of. Uh, Dave Ramsey's because we have pictures of him teaching my oldest daughter how to ski there. Is it the same lake? I don't even remember the name. Same lake. Same lake. What, which lake is that? Tim's Ford. Tim's Ford. That's right. That's we're, right. About, we're about 20 minutes apart by car or by boat. Yeah. He's on one end of the lake. I'm on the other end of the lake. But um, yeah, this is a great place. About 90 minutes from my home. Yeah. Well, next time in, I'm in Nashville, uh, I'd love to go fish. Yes. I'd love to do that with you. That'd be fun. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for uh, just the candor and and vulnerability in this, Michael, and uh, sharing your heart and your message. It's just a gift. I am uh, the most benefited student, but I'm grateful that we'll get tens of thousands of people to listen to this message on mindset and to hear your own efforts and how you pursue your own mind and your mindset. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I always promote the books and resources of my guests. This message, like all, is really one you don't just need to hear, but get to work on if you really want to implement it. If you really want to accept that you are, to a great degree, living in a fictional story, one you've written and one you can write a more authentic and ultimately beneficial one, if you are intentional about it. And Michael Hyatt and his daughter Megan help you in this book. It's Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. You can buy the book and then with it, get his free, their free Mind Your Mindset course, uh, again, free with the book at mindyourmindsetbook.com slash self-helpful. 
thank you as always for choosing to tune into this self-helpful podcast. I really hope you take what you heard today and start implementing it in your life. Talk to those you care about and respect in your life about the concepts and grapple with them like we do here on the show. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 